It's time to join Montana's very own and your voice for agriculture, Talking Ag Lane Nordland, for today's LaneCast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to more conversations here on the Western Ag Network, along with the audio portion of today's conversation on the LaneCast Ag Podcast. I'm Lane Nordland, happy to be with you, looking at some of our top ag stories and a little bit of humor we found along the way here this week on the Western Ag Network. Standing by from his home studio is the one and only Mr. <laughs> Russell Nimitz. And Russell, kind of a weird week. We had a Monday where the markets traded, and then we had the 4th of July holiday, and then kind of a weird week in between. But uh, how did uh, how did the 4th of July go for uh, for your family and friends? You know, we had a pretty good Independence Day holiday and certainly enjoyed celebrating America's birthday. And what would the 4th of July be without delicious food and just great conversation and the red, white and blue? How about you? Yeah, we uh, we had a pretty good uh, week. Uh, it uh, We got enough uh, hay bale that uh, we were able to run up to the Shoto, Montana, 4th of July parade and rodeos. Got to see a a lot of great uh, friends uh, up there from all over and uh, then made it home. Again, it's kind of weird having the 4th of July in the middle of the week or the start of the week, but uh, I didn't get too out of hand. I guess you can say I behaved pretty good there on the 4th. No no hangovers or anything to yeah. talk about. <laughs> well, both of us have small children, right? And we have early morning schedules. It's, it's hard to get too carried away. But I did notice in some of your television reports that you had uh, some round bales in the background. I think last week you talked about getting ready to get into the field. How did this year's hay crop turn out so far? All the little little uh, fields that we have here uh, where my wife and I live, it was uh, pretty impressive. I mean, last last year our, our hay crop was about that tall. Um, this year we had smooth brome shoot up to your uh, elbow it really covered up the cheek grass really good it looked really good out there uh but you know i mean a few ton an acre which was great to see and just being able to other than the square baler not working right i wanted to put up some idiot cubes just to have on hand but uh after holding the flashlight for my father-in-law all day on, on my birthday as we tried to get that uh, square baler working uh we just decided to do a uh, just get it done and put some bales up. So that's why we had to ha have that great background on TV <laughs> earlier this week, uh, making making all of our, well, I should just say my father-in-law's hard work. Uh, he, he did almost all the work because I'm just the celebrity in the family. I get to kick back and not do much. So, <laughs> Well, I think a lot of folks are having uh, pretty good success this year in the hay fields. I was able to talk to my brother uh, this week up in that Chinook, Montana country and and that's all he could talk about is just, holy cow, just all the forage, all the feed available. And, you know, their challenge, probably like a lot of others, was just getting out to it, getting it swathed. And, of course, now getting it bailed before all this uh, cooler weather turns hot and dry as we get further into July and things start really burning up out there. No, no, very true. And again, we're just blessed to be able to put up a hay crop. Uh, a lot of dry land hay, though. Everyone I talk to, uh, whether it's in Montana or Wyoming or other places, uh, a lot of dry land hay. Um, you know, last year we were paying $250 a ton, kind of on average. I think we're going to see more like 150 is 
again, that's not a, an official USDA quote, but uh, that's about what I've been hearing with with folks that are trying to get uh, get some good grass hay sold. But uh, again, I think there's going to be a lot of availability for uh, dry land hay, which is something that we haven't seen. So that hopefully will help on that input side of things, especially for our cow-calf producers um, here this year. But, uh, you know, a, a lot of producers, especially uh, those that are just getting a start in the business, whether they're new to agriculture or a, a young uh, couple uh, trying to make a go of it in the countryside, Russ, uh, uh, you were able to catch up with our friends at Ag West uh, Farm Credit to talk about some uh, exciting grant opportunities for uh, beginning or new producers. Yeah, I was. You know, so many times in agriculture, whether you're young or a little bit older and you have that desire to be in agriculture, it can certainly be a, a capital intensive industry to get into. And for so many, that's that's really the big barrier that really stops a lot of folks from getting into production agriculture is just how much it costs, you know, whether it's the land itself or the machinery or the livestock. But, you know, through the years, farm credit system as a whole, not just here in these parts, but across America has been, you know, some of the biggest supporters of getting more young people in or getting those people that never were involved with agriculture, getting their feet uh, into the business, you know, the right way. And I guess uh, here of late, as you mentioned, some pretty exciting news from our friends at Ag West Farm Credit, uh, predominantly here in the Pacific Northwest in states like Montana, Idaho, Washington, and Oregon, California. They're now offering new producer grants, one-time grants for folks interested in getting into agriculture, $15,000 grants. And this past week, I had the opportunity to visit with Ag West Farm Credits, Montana President Megan Schroyer for more of the details. This is actually not a loan. Again, this is a grant. Um, and what that looks like is we've just seen some challenges with producers trying to uh, be new in agriculture. And we want to help break those barriers and maybe find those new producers that have a vision. And we want to help get them kicked off uh, with a grant. And she says applying and eligibility requirements are pretty simple. Eligibility is easy. You just um, haven't been operational for operating a farmer ranch for the last two years, or maybe once you receive the grant, you're going to start a new operation in the next two. Uh, so there is some paperwork. It's due August 31st. Uh, so I just encourage everyone if if you got that passion and vision and need a little help, get on our website and apply. Yeah, and as she mentioned, Lane, that application deadline is August 31st. You can either get on their website at agwestfc.com or, of course, stop at any one of the many AgWest Farm Credit branches across Western Ag Network country. But truly, what an incredible opportunity for uh, not just young folks, but anybody interested in getting into agriculture. Um, $15,000 right there uh, in the waiting and, 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 and just encourage folks to really take advantage of it. They're trying their best to make it as simple as possible. And you know, one of the things that Megan did mention is you do not have to be a current Ag West farm credit customer, which is pretty incredible in itself. No, that's a great opportunity to help pay for some expenses, some some new ventures or whatnot, especially for uh, these beginning or new folks to agriculture, because 
Uh, we don't do it because we make a lot of money. <laughs> but uh, no. so that, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I mean, $15,000, if nothing else, could serve just as a, a little bit of a collateral or, you know, maybe be used to allow yourself to get your hands on a little bit more financing to, to do more, you know, as, as, as you get going in this, uh, this industry. So now very, very cool. Again, uh, visit our friends at Ag West online for, for more of those details. And yeah, you know, Russ, I do want to mention though, of course, uh, I want to thank all of our viewers right now that are joining us on YouTube or Facebook here today, or if you're listening to our audio portion on the Lancaster Ag podcast, wherever podcasts are listened to, thanks for joining us. So if you're listening and you want to watch this, check us out on the Western Ag Network Facebook page and YouTube. Uh, again, these premiere every Sunday morning at 7.05 mountain time in the morning there and uh, again we're just uh, bringing you some of these top headlines that uh, we have throughout the week again a little bit of a short week with the fourth of july holiday but with uh, with monday coming right before the fourth of july usda was able to get uh, quite a few of their uh, reports out but uh, we did see recently usda's acreage and stocks report come out and uh, so, some surprising information coming out in there especially for corn and soybean acres as uh, we actually look to some of these wheat acres uh, we are seeing that the all wheat planted area this year was just under 50 million acres and it was nine percent higher than last year and as we look to some of the other numbers there winter wheat was up 11 percent 37 million acres and in addition to that the spring wheat crop was coming in as well at a uh, oh excuse me farmers plant 11.1 million acres of spring wheat see i, I should have just been reading my notes and not not the screen here russ but uh, uh some pretty good uh, uh wheat uh, acres out there as well and the corn that was what really had a lot of folks uh excited and watching the markets throughout the yeah. week we, we saw 94.1 million acres of corn come down the line that's up six percent from last year and we are seeing this is the third highest corn planting since 1944. So since World War II, that's the most acres yep. we've had. And that's the highest level that we've seen since 2013. And so I, I tell you what, that is uh, uh, really good news, I think, for uh, some of uh, the, the feeders out, out uh, there in the Midwest. Having a, a little bit bigger corn crop might help on those input costs. And those beans, didn't Johnny Cash sing a song about those beans or something like that back in the day? I might have to learn that one on guitar. <laughs> I don't but, know. Uh, we'll have to find that for next Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> but the all uh, soybean planted area is coming in just uh, at 83 and a half million acres, 5% lower than last year as well. And uh, for, for some reason, I still have the third highest corn planting in there. So, but that's an important number. That's why I think I repeated that here on our graphics here today. But uh, nonetheless, Russ, uh, you know, pretty, pretty important numbers as, as we look at this year. Um, and the further north we go, the better those crop conditions get. I know winter wheat to harvest is really, uh, uh, really probably made a jump this week with a lot of dry conditions there in the Midwest. Uh, we'll have that new USDA report out tomorrow, uh, that, that, that following Monday from here on Sunday. But uh, USDA chief economist Seth Meyer joined us earlier in the week, and, and he had more of an interesting take on some of those shifts. So uh, we're going to turn that over to Seth, and he's going to just share not only those row crops in wheat, but uh, some of those other crops that producers uh, planted more of this year. 
you lost 4 million acres of beans, you gained 2 million acres of corn, and then you gained acreage sprinkled around in a number of different areas. So you saw increases in things like hay acreage. We were very tight hay stocks. Farmers responded with a little bit more hay acreage. You picked up some sorghum area in some locations, perhaps reflecting very dry conditions. Folks went with, um, with sorghum. You picked up some other spring wheat area. You think about North Dakota and you think, well, we didn't have a huge prevent plant, but maybe a little bit of delayed planting. And so places like North Dakota picked up and said, hey, I can plant spring wheat and went with spring wheat. Yeah, so uh, seeing more sorghum, spring wheat, and, and of course more hay acreage as well. But uh, Russ, have you ever been around sorghum much? That that's one crop I truly can say I know nothing about. I mean, I mean, have you seen? I, obviously, Western Ag Network reaches quite a uh, uh, quite a few states, especially in the uh, Intermountain West. But uh, sorghum's just something I'm not familiar with. I'm not really that familiar with it either. But you know. You get south of Wyoming and get down into the, you know, the, the western edges of Kansas and Oklahoma, Colorado, and, you know, the Texas panhandle area. I know they do use uh, a lot of sorghum in their, their rotation. It, it's, uh, th their climate in that part of America is, is better suited for it than probably up here. But, you know, given all the you know, the, the genetic uh, improvements we've made in, in, in the crop industry, who knows, we might be raising it up here in the, in, in this neck of the woods before too long, but it's a big crop, especially for the, you know, the Southern Plains guys. But, you know, you were joking about um, the corn number, you know, the, the corn number that was on the screen there. I think what a lot of folks, whether you're a corn farmer or a livestock producer are really watching is, is in the corn belt they're being impacted severely by drought right now. And, um, you know, those numbers, those planning intentions and, and what have you this time of the year, it's easy to put them on paper, but as a lot of folks know, they don't mean anything until it's actually bushels in the bin. And so that's what a lot of folks will be, will be watching and, you know, a little bit higher wheat number. Well, that was probably as expected, you know, when we, we uh, we're still at historically low wheat plantings across America, and we know that same drought that's decimating the corn crop there in the, the Corn Belt is also hammering away in the Central Plains, especially in Kansas still, in Nebraska. So it'll be interesting, you know, up here in the northern tier where we've had a little bit more rain. Yeah, both the winter wheat and the spring wheat, and uh, now the pulse crops are are looking really good if we can keep the temperature from just, uh, you know, going from, like I said earlier, from this cool season we've had so far to, you know, 90 to 100 degree temperature, which we know can happen just, you know, with the turn of a switch up here. No, very, very true. And uh, again, acreage reports much different than those harvested acres. Wow. And uh, that winter wheat crop definitely uh, once uh, the national, uh, harvest is done here this fall it's going to be interesting to really dive into those numbers and hopefully uh producers will be able to be able to get a little higher price than what usda is forecasting on that front but uh you know one, one thing about it russ is it doesn't matter if uh you're, you're planting or harvesting so many producers can get a lot of, of news information and entertainment on their phones and that's why of course why we're having more of these conversations on youtube facebook and in our podcast but uh 
You know, I uh, I was going through Instagram this weekend and I came across a, a video about hog calling. Now, again, <laughs> uh, we're not really from big hog uh, hog uh, production states, but uh, it, kind of in the Midwest there, uh, a lot of those uh, fairs, the county fairs, state fairs, they have hog calling contests. And, and first, I want to find a video of... Uh, this is the video that I found. It's like the 2010 Illinois State Fair hog calling. Let, let's just <laughs> let's just watch this. Then it'll lead into the next video a little more. Come on, pig, piggy. Come on, piggy. Are you kidding me? I didn't even know this was a real thing. I, I, I we need to see if like the Montana, Wyoming, or Colorado state fairs have this because I, you and I might have to enter that. I don't even know if my vocal cords could do that. I, I think it'd be more like a cow calling contest. Yeah, hey, I, boss. Was say. I mean, you know, hey, boss, hey, boss. I, yep. I mean, my my two year old, she knows how to call cows or or call the horses in come on come on shake shake her bucket full of grain but uh yeah but this is this is what led me to that 2010 clip as i was going along on instagram and uh it, you know when auto-tune came out do you remember the first auto-tune song you ever heard or a song that had auto-tune um no it was it was probably the first one it was probably shares do you believe in life life after love that was like the first song that ever had that i didn't have that one queued up i should have i, I could have had a share wig on or something there for that yeah. one do you believe in life after love <laughs> or so, walking so now, into or, or like t-pain yeah t-pain he, he was really big in auto-tune well this is what i found on instagram and it is hog calling with auto-tune Practice, you think goes into one of these? Well, if they got a few pigs, they're they're feeding them every day. <laughs> I oh, we probably just lost some subscribers over that one, but uh, I don't know. I think we might have to go cover one of these. We might have to do a live show from from one of these hog callings. But the auto tune, I you know, it's just kind of like when they put an auctioneer to rap music, but. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was pretty funny. I, I mean, I, I don't know, but I, I think we're going to get Russell Nimitz. We're, we, we should probably sponsor a hog calling contest at the Montana or Montana State Fair, the Montana Fair. Or get one of our well-known auctioneers across our coverage area to, to do something with us. You know, well, I mean, just pop into my mind is Ty Thompson. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, that would be he, something right up his alley. I, th I could see him, you know, uh, being a good pig caller. <laughs> they but they don't rent pigs at the Billings Livestock Commission. Oh yes, 
great quote out of Lonesome Dove right there. There we go. But, uh, you know, Russ, we, we talked. That's good stuff. That? Now we know what you do in between farm reports. <laughs> yes, that, that is very true. I mean, when I, I, I after we're done with this, I got to go uh, haul, haul round bales. But, uh, yeah, I, I'll probably be watching some more hog calling here. On... <laughs> well, uh, yeah, exactly. You know, last oh, week uh, we were talking about kind of Facebook hacks, uh, Facebook duplicate accounts and uh, just just fake, fake things that come up. Well, I'm always looking on Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace for a good farm and ranch equipment or livestock deal. And uh, th this one, just right off the bat, I'm looking at I'm like, God, these, these are pretty good used equipment. You got a little uh, little pull behind hay bind type set up and a, uh, and a nice old John Deere square baler. And uh, a 27. Well, first off, how do you spell baler, Russell? I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna take it back to there for a second. <laughs> it, uh, how would you spell not, Baylor? Yeah, well, um, I'm not the greatest speller, but I do know farm machinery Baylors are B A L E R. That guy must be like in trouble with the law or something, yep. and needs like money, right? Yeah, like, he needs, needs real out. bail. Yeah, I, yeah. I so I, I laughed at that because this this little this little baler 2006. It's a 2006 oh, model. Yeah. yeah, it looks just like 2006. You know, looks I would have been in high new, school still. But 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 yeah, but look at that though. Okay, if you look right there, it has oh, the date. Yeah, up on top, they bought it in 1974. Good Lord. So if, if our friends haven't caught on yet, obviously somebody has made a fake account because I looked up the guy's name and uh, he uh, or looked up the account. It, he joined in April 2003 to the Facebook community. And, you know, they have these priced, you know, $4,000. That's that's not too bad of a deal on a, you know, a well-kept square baler. And uh, but yeah, the, the 2006 model and I, but, you know, they get people to click on these and send them money on Venmo or PayPal or whatnot. And that's why I bring these up is you got to be careful. But it's so funny. I mean, you got that Baylor with an I in there. But they also, they also, and this was supposed to be on a Kalispell. So so now we got this, this Swather, a 2000 Swather, $4,000 as well. That, that came out in about 1993, about the time you graduated high school, Russell. But right. uh doesn't it just drive you nuts that con artists are out there like this, just trying to to get yeah. unsuspecting people that are truly just trying to to find something to you know put put some hay up or or whatnot? I mean, but people yeah. fall for this, and Facebook rarely takes action. Um, well, well, the problem <laughs> is, I mean, a lot. I mean, like what you're showing right now, unless you're kind of up to speed on stuff, and you know, most farmers and ranchers that are in it to win it, you know, probably would you know, catch on or at least even be able to visually do what you did. And like, yeah, that's not a 2006 model, but so <laughs> much of this scam stuff that's going on in social media today, uh, the hackers and the con artists out there have really become so good at, at the presentation that, you know, any one of us can get caught up in, in something, maybe not to this extent, but you know, I've, I've bought a few things on, on Facebook. And long as we're just kind of being honest this weekend, I mean, some of those have been crazy, fun, you know, button type shirts, you know, that might have cowboys on them or horses or something, or you might find something else on there that you want to buy. And, 
and then when you're expecting your your package to show up i've noticed i've i've been scammed a few times when you know i think they don't get in trouble if they just send you something right so it might not even be what you originally bought as long as they send you some trinket of some sort that's absolutely worthless i think it gets them off the hook and and how do you know i mean you don't know and you know they take you for in my case you know i don't spend a lot of money on social media but uh you know they might take you for 25 50 bucks yep right yeah you know and, and you, you're never going to get that back ever that's why that's why i just wear wrangler shirts and pants you know well you know most of those purchases were done after uh <laughs> uh you know a few Coors lights <laughs> celebrating something you know you do I, I don't some. know i mean you gotta have fun in this deal too so you, you do have some really festive uh agriculture themed livestock shirts so maybe we'll maybe we'll have a, a show where we dress up and in, in our our cool shirts uh, but sp <laughs> speaking of wrangler we'll have to uh, uh we'll throw these images up here but uh I, i'm looking for new luggage because Russell and I, we travel a lot and luggage gets broke because the, the luggage handlers on airplanes, uh, they really take care of your luggage really well. They, they oh, set yeah. them down nicely. They never throw them. They never fall off uh, any of the, the transportation. And they never look through them. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, but I was on Amazon and I found, uh, 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 I was looking for, you know, a, a carry on a smaller check bag and then a larger check bag. And, and there was a Wrangler three set. It was made by Wrangler had the big Wrangler logo on there. And I'm like, could you imagine me walking through the airport in my Wrangler Canadian tuxedo pulling these Wrangler bags? I mean, I, I would need to actually be sponsored by Wrangler at that point. Uh, if the reviews were better, I probably would have, would have bought them, but uh I, I don't know. Maybe I will just to just to get a cool Instagram shot so I can be a real influencer. So yeah, they they obviously came in two beautiful colors. The the autumn <laughs> color I think would have been my favorite. It really would have stuck out in the crowd. But if Wrangler wants to send me those two, I'll uh, I'll try them out. I mean, I break one or two bags a year just traveling and. You know, you never realize it till you get home because we don't get home till like midnight when we're flying home. And know, you never right? want to check your bags when it, there's three feet of snow and you're trying to get to your pickup and de-ice yeah. and whatnot. But that's what I found on the internet this week. But uh, I thought those were pretty entertaining finds. They are pretty cool. I, for some reason, I was visualizing them as, you know, the the original Wrangler colors, you know, that royal blue with the bright yellow lettering and... Um, but these are very much more 21st century type, you know, environmental, outdoorsy, <laughs> agricultural yeah. colors. And they would fit you perfect. They would. You're really stretching on that one. But I wish they had some denim colored ones or just made them denim, you know, <laughs> wrapped them Make in the denim. outside denim. Yeah. So I can get my, my travel bag starched as well, like my jeans. <laughs> I think you might be onto something. It might be, you know, with starch, you know, one reason we get pants starch is because, you know, oh, yeah. you just clean, you know, the, all the, all the yuck stuff just yeah. sticks the starch and comes right off. But with that, I think we need to take a quick uh, sponsor break. Our friends at Ag Risk Advisors bringing you our coverage today. Let's hear a quick message from them. Ready for a real PRF partner? He was willing to track us for a year and provide that data back to us for a year. 
that's a guy making a pretty big investment. At Ag Risk Advisors, this isn't our first rodeo. We are one of the most experienced in pasture rangeland forage. Honesty, commitment, trust. Many companies use these words. At Ag Risk Advisors, we earn them. Again, a big thank you to our friends at Ag Risk Advisors for uh, helping you bring, uh, helping us bring you these conversations on YouTube, Facebook, and on the Langcast Ag Podcast. And uh, Rasa, as we come back, uh, there there's some news that uh, spring wheat growers should be aware of here in the summer of 2023. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's no big secret. We raise some of the highest quality uh, wheat, whether winter wheat or spring wheat here in Western Egg Network country. And this week I had a, a fun email from the National Wheat Foundation asking us if we'd help them get the word out about the National Wheat Yield Contest. Now, entries closed back in May for winter wheat, but if you're a spring wheat grower and you want to participate in this year's uh, spring wheat uh, wheat yield contest, you need to get those entries in by August 1st. And of course, Lane, you know, we've done several interviews over the years with either growers themselves or industry leaders from the, you know, the National Wheat Foundation. And the contest, which by the way, is now in its eighth year, encourages growers to strive for yield, quality, and profit. And there's two categories for winter wheat and spring wheat, dry land, and of course, irrigated uh, both of which are, are very popular uh, across our coverage area. And gosh, it sure would be fun to see some, you know, spring wheat growers and winter wheat growers, uh, you know, from Western Egg Network country, uh, get those entries in and, and be recognized at Commodity Classic uh, next year, which I believe is headed for San Antonio. It's quite an honor. No, it is an honor. And it's uh I, I didn't make this year's uh, uh, wheat yield contest. I I got the norovirus when we were in yeah, Orlando. You had a little bit of uh, po- food poisoning going. It was something. You were not feeling very well down there. I wish it would have been the bottle flu because I can get over yeah. that pretty fast. But uh, I know you and and Paul Paul Humphrey, our videographer, were able to to attend that event, and it is just really cool to see how how uh, science, technology, and just uh, good old work ethic comes into these impressive wheat yields, whether it's dry land or irrigated and just the different varieties. Uh, it's it's really cool to just to see how all of that can come together and, and really help produce food, but to really highlight uh, just all the different partners we have in the countryside that uh, help bring these uh, varieties for, to producers. Yeah, and all of the support, as you mentioned, I mean, a lot of what goes into contests like this is what growers are already doing on their farms uh, already. And and just to have the tremendous amount of support from the allied industry partners out there, you know, the, um, you know, the different uh, agribusiness companies out there that, you know, are, are investing millions and billions of dollars into, you know, making crops drought resistant, making them, you know, wheat stem softly resistant so we can you know, do a better job of raising more food on less and powering through some of those uh, challenges, whether they're 
you know, from Mother Nature or or what have you. And and for more details, I guess uh, on the National Wheat Yield Contest, you know, you can jump online and and visit wheatfoundation.org. So encourage growers to to do exactly that. Um, switching gears though, just for a second though, I mean, one of those issues that we've been talking about since the Obama administration has been the highly controversial waters of the U.S. rule. We got a little bit of a reprieve from WOTUS uh, during the Trump administration, um, but then WOTUS came back with a vengeance uh, here in the Biden administration, and then a huge ruling just a few weeks ago by the U.S. Supreme Court. But, but even so, it's like WOTUS just will not die. Yeah, it's uh, sometimes referred to as the uh, zombie WOTUS rule. It just keeps uh, coming back to life, even even if it doesn't have legal legs. And, and Russ, we did see that the Biden administration isn't giving up on the waters of the U.S. rule, even after the U.S. Supreme Court back in May struck down the rule's cornerstone, which is that significant nexus test for EPA's power over wetlands. Uh, the Biden EPA and the Army Corps insist that they can still implement the bulk of the waters of the U.S. rule. Now, because of that claim, uh, last week, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association and litigation partners filed a motion in the U.S. District Court in Texas asking the court to strike down the Biden waters of the U.S. rule in light of that Supreme Court decision in Sackett v. EPA. Now, the Biden administration is insisting they can implement the bulk of that WOTUS rule, but NCBA's chief counsel, Mary Thomas Hart, says ah, that's really possibly not going to happen. And so she shares more on, on why NCBA and other litigants are, are putting a motion forward in that Texas court. The EPA and Army Corps of Engineers um, have now said that they believe they can make some small adjustments to the existing WOTUS definition and basically give us a direct final rule that will comply with this Supreme Court standard without going through notice and comment rulemaking. NCBA argues that the Biden administration's surgical approach to fixing the WOTUS rule will not work. The only surgery I think that would effectively work to make this current WOTUS definition um, comply with the Supreme Court's holding in Sackett is a full quadruple open heart surgery, right? It's going to have to be some real major revisions, um, just because the, the significant nexus standard is the cornerstone of this definition. And again, a lot of frustration from farmers, ranchers, land use advocates, and many more, even though that significant nexus test, which makes up the bulk of the Biden 2023 WOTUS rule cannot be utilized. They're still pushing forward. And if you recall that Biden WOTUS rule is still under injunction in 27 states, and that includes states like North Dakota, Wyoming, Montana, and South Dakota, among others in our coverage area. Um, so yeah, uh, a lot of a lot of folks are wondering why is the Biden administration pushing forward with this? And of course, that costs money for for NCBA and all these other groups to continue to fight that on, on behalf of their members and in all the interests involved in, in, in land stewardship and, and farming and ranching. Uh, but the Biden administration continues to move forward, even though they've asked the uh, courts in North Dakota to uh, uh, push aside the uh, the injunction that was granted in the federal courts in North Dakota to, to put that rule on 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 hold. 
saying it's costing the government too much to fight those. So uh, that is for us one of the most frustrating things is just how much money is spent on court battles and how and in other cases how environmentalists and animal rights groups makes hundreds of millions and millions of dollars every year on court cases uh and, and whatnot but uh, a lot of uh, very frustration uh, frustrated producers out in the countryside even after that supreme court decision yeah to say the least i think we both mentioned it last week it's just a lot of folks are just scratching their heads in farm and ranch country. It's like when you have the nation's highest court, which used to be the law of the land, make a ruling. That's kind of what the ruling was moving forward, but not so much, at least as of right now with WOTUS and the scary part lane, as you know it. I mean, when, you know, the majority of the nation's water, at least out here in, in these parts originates, you know, in Western egg network country, uh, the scary part for farmers and ranchers. I mean, we're not talking about large, huge bodies of water that would qualify for WOTUS. I mean, yes, those would, but I mean, it's simple things like, you know, uh, ditches that every farm and ranch has, you know, whether it's full of water, either from irrigation itself or just a rainstorm or something would technically qualify you know, dried up ones that haven't ran in years would technically qualify uh, for regulation under WOTUS. And man, it's, it would be even more burdensome than what it is right now. No, very, very true. But yeah, uh, you know, Russ, going from WOTUS, uh, we'll continue to keep all of our, our viewers and listeners up to speed on that. Uh, but, but one thing we are seeing more of in, uh, especially uh, when COVID hit, uh, just the need to have more regional meat processors, giving producers the opportunity to to get more of their own livestock processed, or those that have their own uh, uh, branded meat meat brands out there, where they're doing direct to consumer models and whatnot. Uh, we are seeing some more uh, uh, grants and, and funding available for regional meat processing expansion. Uh, I guess what's the latest on that front? Yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, there wasn't very many good things that came out of the pandemic, but uh, if there was one, it was uh, consumers spoke loud and clear about their desire to be able to get their hands on locally produced food, and that included meat. And they wanted a more direct, personal relationship uh, with their food producer. And, you know, as we get further and further out of the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, that trend is certainly continuing. And the Biden administration, along with the USDA as it is now, continues to support that cause out here in the countryside, whether it be with low interest loans or grants to help more local and regional meat processors get started and, and help meet this growing demand. And this past week, I was able to visit with the Montana Farmers Union's president, Walter Schweitzer, a producer himself from north central Montana, about why these low interest loans and grants to do exactly that are such good news for both ranchers and consumers and how, you know, some of this money has has helped one of their causes, the Montana Premium Processing Cooperative in Haver, Montana. I just appreciate the, the, our new administration, Biden, uh, investing uh, as much as he has 
in, um, in rebuilding our regional processing and our rural infrastructure. And, um, and this is a, uh, it, it's not a grant. Uh, it's a um, meat processing intermediary loan program. And um, it's kind of a hybrid, I guess, because uh, they have granted money to the rural development uh, 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 groups around the state of Montana. And, uh, and they first have to loan this money out to a meat processing uh, facility. And then once that meat processing facility has paid the money back on that original loan, then that money can be reutilized for just about anything that the rural development corporations uh, work on in our local communities. And so uh, Montana Premium Processing Co-op uh, has applied because Bear Paw Development got this uh, money uh, a couple of months ago. And so we've applied to get a low interest loan to help with the expansion of our meat processing facility up in Haver, Montana. And he says that consumers want to know where their meat comes from and that regional processors like the Montana Premium Processing Cooperative can do that. Really to, to be successful in the meat processing world, we have to challenge the anti-competitive practices that the big four processing companies that process 85% of the beef, um, we need to just challenge them and, and hold them at bay. And, uh, and it's gonna be a twofold. Uh, if we can get them to compete fairly, uh, we're gonna need to develop our regional processing again. Uh, they pretty much in the last 40 years, we've had this big, get big or get out philosophy in agriculture. And we've lost our regional processing. We've lost our regional feeding industry and it's all gonna need to be rebuilt. Now, there's lots of things that we still need to work on to make this work. Right now, the consumers, they, they don't know where their beef comes from and how can they? Uh, we we have these uh, fake labels on our, our meat packages that say it's a product of USA when it's probably processed in a foreign country and packaged in the USA. Um, we really need to get country of origin labeling for beef and pork like we do for all other foods so that Havers processing plant and the producers that participate in this co-op will have an opportunity to fairly compete with their product. Now, Lane, I mean, this is just one example of uh, one of these local and regional meat processing facilities that, uh, you know, an organization in this case, uh, like the Montana Farmers Union and uh, all the producers that are participating in it because it is a cooperative, uh, were able to undertake because of, you know, some of these low interest loans or, or grants that the USDA has been, uh, you know, giving out for the past several years. But there's examples like this, I mean, across Western Ag Network country, not just in Montana. And and certainly they've been, you know, they've 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 been received very, very well in their own communities and uh across the countryside. 
No, very, very, uh, very great to see uh, more of those meat processing plants either expand, get started up, and uh, really just provide those services for producers. Because e- even today, uh, you still have to reserve that hook space uh, if you're fattening oh. fattening something up out in the out in the crowd. Uh, sometimes uh, th- th- those dates are even getting bumped for back for for some producers as well. So, really exciting to see that, and and it's just great to see, as I mentioned, so many of these mom and pop shops be able to expand so they can bring the next generation on and, and provide more opportunities for producers in the countryside. But uh, yeah, you know, Russ, I think we, we've covered just a, just a little bit of all the headlines we had even during the, the 4th of July week that, that we celebrated. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I enjoy bringing a different spin to our content that we've been sharing, whether on radio and TV and digital throughout the week in this video cast and, and podcast format here, here on Sunday mornings. Yeah, I do too, because I mean, so many times in our regular network broadcasts, uh, we're just limited by, by time. So, you know, we, we don't get to have even this interpersonal communication that you and I are, are doing, you know, and, and being able to provide some you know, maybe some backside inside, a little bit of humor, uh, you know, maybe just a skosh of our own opinions um, in, in, in this type of uh, format that we're just, we just don't have the time or, you know, we just stay away from in our, in our regular radio and television broadcasts. And, and just having the longer format to share longer interviews, you know, like those that we just did with, with the likes of, you know, guys like Walter Schweitzer, you know, I mean, letting him actually get his entire uh, thought out there uh, on the airwaves or, or digitally, however, you know, we're, we're supposed to describe it in formats like this. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of good work going on out there. And there's a lot of hard work going on by industry leaders like him and, and so many others that, you know, their full time job really is being a farmer or rancher themselves but yet they're dedicating they're volunteering their time to you know step up to the plate and and lead organizations or or do whatever else it takes no very true and for all of our viewers uh tuning in on youtube facebook or listening on the lane gas Ag podcast thanks for sticking with us uh, hey make sure and share this if you're on facebook go down push the little arrow, share it for folks to see and subscribe uh, and to us on YouTube as well. And if you didn't make it through all this, or if you're just tuning in as we're wrapping up today's show, uh, wait till it uh, goes back live and, and you can watch every uh, every single second and and uh, really be a part of, of all of our conversations, especially the hog calling. <laughs> uh, who would have thought that... Uh, this would have been the viral sensation of the week here, Russ. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I didn't even know this was real. I don't know why it surprises me so much. I mean, I didn't know hog producers, people that love pigs, uh, were this wild and crazy, I guess. <laughs> oh, well, maybe, maybe we'll have to uh, uh, we'll have to stop by a colony and ask the Hutterites is, <laughs> if this is how the how, how they get their hogs in. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, we had some fun here go, today. I was going to go down a road that I probably shouldn't have, so I'm just I'm just going to stop before I. No, get you were going to say if you had enough dandelion wine that our friends <laughs> from the colony up at Great Falls bring you during grain growers every year, you oh. might be able to be really good at that. 
That is good stuff, Lane. Dandelion <laughs> wine. Anything from the Hooterite colonies is good. Well, uh, I'm going to stay away from that white lightning. Oh, goodness. But <laughs> You uh, know who we should get to do, though, um, one of these hog calling contests that isn't on the colony is our good friend Courtney Herzog up at Rapple J. You know, for oh. years, I don't know if they're still raising hogs up there, but I know um, they used to. And they were big industry leaders in the National Pork Producers Council. And I wonder if we could talk Courtney. Maybe. He might we do could it. set him up. Yeah. I don't know. He's going to be like, what were Lane and Russell talking about here? And I know. Well, well, we always see him and his wife, Kim, at the NCBA convention and trade show. You know, they're, yeah, they're the Roper. ones, uh, you know, selling a lot of uh, awesome Western wear. But yeah, I don't know, just throwing it out there. Somebody knows yeah. Courtney besides us. I mean. Let's just let's just float it out there. Courtney and Ty Thompson, that's my vote. Well, friends, All right, it. <laughs> friends, thanks for joining us here on the Western Ag Network and the Lancast Ag Podcast as we share more of the conversations and happenings throughout the week here in Western Ag Network country. For the Western Ag Network crew, Russell Nimitz, Paul Humphrey standing by on the back end, and everyone else that uh, makes everything run and 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 run smooth here on the network. Thank you so much. I'm Lane Nordland. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.